Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I am the true vine, Jesus said to his disciples. I am. Ego I me in the Greek. When Jesus says, I am, Jews take notice. Their ears perk up and they pay attention. These words, I am, are those words that Moses heard from the burning bush when he asked the Lord God whom he should tell the Israelites had sent him to lead them out of their captivity. I am who I am, Yahweh had said. Tell them, I am has sent me unto you. I am are the words and the name of God. Jesus had spoken this phrase, I am, on several occasions. Usually it was when he was describing how he, the anointed one, was fulfilling the prophecies of God. How he, the Son, was making up for all the shortcomings of Israel. How he was succeeding in contrast to all the many times that they had failed in living up to the covenants that the Lord had established with them. Throughout his ministry, Jesus had gradually revealed his identity letting people know that he was indeed the Christ, the Messiah, and the time was now ripe for salvation to be made known. In each of Jesus' I am statements, he claimed an authority, a power that the Jews felt was reserved for God alone. And so with each of his statements, as it becomes clearer and clearer that he is indeed the chosen one, the resistance of those who wanted a Savior to come on their own terms grows. Their charges of blasphemy against Jesus increase. Their hatred and their jealousy overwhelm them. I am the bread of life, Jesus says first. Then later, I am the light of the world. Then, I am the gate. And as we heard last week, I am the Good Shepherd. These were soon followed by, I am the resurrection and the life. And finally, I am the way and the truth and the life. Then Jesus makes another I am statement, the one we heard in our Gospel lesson today. This time, however, he doesn't make it as a public proclamation of his divine nature or his messiahship. His words, I am the true vine, are said in private to his disciples in the seclusion of that upper room on the night in which he was betrayed. He is speaking to those who already knew him to be the Messiah, who already believed him to be the fulfillment of all the prophecies which the people of Israel had ignored. He spoke of himself as the vine to those who were to be his branches, those he was now charging with bearing much fruit once he had suffered, died, arisen, and then ascended in glory. The branches to whom he speaks that evening 
are the seedling members of the body of Christ. They are those who would become the first tender green shoots of His church. And here, in identifying Himself as the vine and the Father as the gardener, Jesus again places Himself as the connection between God and man. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet likens Israel and Judah to a vineyard, carefully built and lovingly maintained by a gardener. But the vineyard had only yielded bad fruit. So the gardener decided that he was going to take away the wall and the hedge that protected it. He will let it be trampled and destroyed, overrun with weeds, left untended, left to dry out and to wither. And so it had. Israel was destroyed by Assyria. Judah was overrun by Babylon until only a remnant of God's chosen people remained. Carried off. Once again placed into captivity. And after those surviving exiles finally returned to Palestine and began the painstaking work of reestablishing the Jewish nation, that vineyard still went untended for many, many years. The gardener sent them no prophets. The vineyard owner did not soothe, did not nourish them with new and rich waters of His Word. Yet even when God had turned a deaf ear to the nation of Israel on account of their unrighteousness, even when they ignored, when He ignored their demands for salvation to come in a fashion that they preferred, and after He had given them over to their sin and over to their enemies, He still did not fully abandon them. He continued to bear them up in His hand and to protect them from complete destruction. But in due time, God did send a prophet. He sent them John the Baptist, immersing Israel into the same cool waters of the Jordan across which the nation had traveled centuries before to enter their promised rest. Close on John's heels came a new vine, a single shoot sprouting from the stump of Jesse, the true vine, Christ Jesus. From that one vine would come the righteousness that was lacking in all the other vines of the vineyard of Israel. The one vine that would remain when all the others had been uprooted, torn from the ground, and broken. That vine is solid. That vine is healthy. It is deeply set in rich soil, cared for by the gardener, regularly fed, regularly watered, for he has high hopes for it. The gardener will not let the branches on that vine wither. He will not let them simply get thick and lush with green leaves and to bear no fruit. He wants fruit. He expects fruit. And he will have his fruit one way or another. So it is for us as well. Through the gift of faith, God has taken us, broken, withered, and diseased by sin, and He's grafted us as branches into the one solid, healthy, and perfect vine, Jesus Christ. We receive the soothing, refreshing waters of baptism as Corey experienced earlier today. Later, we are fed with His Word and nourished by His Holy Supper. The gardener does all that is necessary for we as His branches to grow healthy and to bear much fruit.
That doesn't mean, of course, that things always go smoothly for the branches. Far from it. Sometimes pruning is necessary for a plant to be healthy and strong. Sometimes excess growth has to be cut away for the branches to bear fruit. Jesus says that in the trials and the struggles of our lives, God is pruning us so that we can bear good fruit. Martin Luther, in commenting on this text, calls these trials and these struggles the manure and the pruning clippers of our lives. If you were a branch of a vine, Luther wrote, you must admit that there are things that would happen to you that would be hard to understand. Why does the gardener keep cutting off limbs and branches? Why does the gardener keep piling up manure all around me? It stinks, and I don't like it. So why does the gardener do these things? The gardener does these things because he knows what is best for the vine and best for its branches. The gardener knows that too many limbs will choke off the fruits and that the vine must be fertilized in order to grow and to be fruitful. One of the earliest Christian martyrs was a man by the name of Ignatius. He was a disciple of the Apostle John. Ignatius was arrested and he was taken to Rome to be torn apart by wild beasts in the arena. When this was about to happen, Ignatius said this, let them come. I am God's kernel of grain. He must crush and grind me in the mill before He can use me. This is a very different way of looking at Christian suffering, isn't it? Certainly it is horrible that wild beasts killed Ignatius in that arena. But Ignatius, in his faith, he could see God. He could see that God would use these terrible events to give a great witness to the Gospel. As Luther put it at another time, Ignatius looks upon the terrible teeth of the wild lions and bears as nothing else than God's millstone with which he must be ground to powder in order that he may be prepared as a good cake for God. In some parts of our country, springtime brings tornado season and other violent weather. Thunderstorms and strong winds can damage trees tearing away weaker branches from the trunk and depositing them sometimes far away. If these branches had not broken off, the entire tree might have been destroyed, torn up by its roots and knocked over. Branches whose burdens are too great for the tree to bear under stress are shed for the sake of the tree. Those trees that come down altogether clear the way for new growth, for future trees to grow. The trees are wounded, but with care and attention, they can heal. Destruction gives way to rebirth. Similarly, spring and summer also bring the threat of forest fires. While we might lament the scorching of hundreds if not thousands of acres of trees, and though government agencies might spend untold millions to battle these blazes, these destructive fires are actually an essential part of the growth and the renewal of the forest. The fires clear out underbrush, which draw away moisture and nutrients from the timber. It makes future growth that much healthier. In some cases, the heat of the fire is also an essential element in spreading and even sprouting the seeds that come from the pine cones of certain valuable trees. You see, God's creation always has a way.
In the same way, God may sometimes throw a rough storm into the path of your life. Or He might let the flames of fire lick at you, singe your outward being a little bit. And it's important that we realize in this, we are not abandoned. We must not lose heart. The bad things that sometimes happen in our lives are often God's ways of pruning us, turning us into branches which will bear His fruit in the world. The difficulties and the obstacles we face are His way of chastening us when we've grown too lush and too thick on the fat things of this world. Unlike those fires of hell that would torment us forever if it were not for our salvation in Christ Jesus, God's fire is only temporary. His fire tempers us like steel. It burns away the impurities from our lives. By this pruning, by this burning, God trims and God shapes our individual lives. He drives us toward repentance to draw ever closer into the real dependence that we have on Christ, the true vine. His cutting away of the excesses and His burning away of the distractions of this world allow us to become healthier branches, focused on those things that further His kingdom, those things which will bear much fruit. Likewise, He cuts off those branches that bear no fruit at all. In His perfect knowledge, He knows which branches are hypocrites, those which are false believers, those He will cast into the real and eternal fire, fire which does not purify, but fire which punishes. So it will also be for all of those who break themselves off from the true vine, those who do not remain connected with Christ, who separate themselves from the nourishment of word and sacrament. They wither. They dry out. They become brittle. And they eventually snap loose in the winds of change and fall away. These branches, too, are fit only for consumption in the fire. But it is not so for you. You have been grafted firmly into the trunk of the vine, solidly into the center of the church, Jesus Christ. Intertwined with that vine and irrevocably connected to Christ is His bride, the church, the holy and precious mother in whom all Christians are linked. And within that mother church, the saving life blood of Christ the very spirit of salvation which is sent by the Father, the gardener, it now courses through our veins, through the veins of the church, and brings life to us, all of His branches. Life that comes in faith by hearing, comes in washing in the regeneration of the flood of baptism, and comes in the feeding of the branches in Christ's holy and precious meal. We know and we confess that our one God certainly works in us and for us in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Heavenly Father, the perfect gardener, one who prunes us so that we might bear much fruit. Jesus Christ, the Son, through whose death we are renewed, in whose death we are baptized, and through whom we arise again anew. He is our eternal Brother. He links us firmly into Himself, the one true vine and also the Holy Spirit, the One who has called us to faith, faith through eternal Word of God, and daily that Spirit keeps us attached to the One True Vine. This is Mother's Day. And on this Mother's Day, we look to Christ's Bride, 
our collective mother, the Holy Christian Church, the one Holy Christian and Apostolic Church, as we often confess it. That is our connection to our God and Lord and to the fellowship of all believers. On this Mother's Day, it's a good time to remember that our Heavenly Father provides us, through our loving Mother, the nurturing care of His Word and His sacrament. He gives us all that we truly need to continue to grow into faithful, loving, and mature Christians. In your grafting into the one true church, into the vine of Christ, and by extension into that nourishing mother, we are inextricably and irrevocably linked to God, wed to Christ ourselves, the same God who uses the bad things in your life to prune you and to temper you with His fire. He feeds you with His life in the Lord's Supper. He gives you His body and blood so that you are nourished and refreshed in your sometimes difficult journey through this life. It's no accident that Jesus calls Himself the one true vine. It is from the fruit of that vine in Holy Communion that you regularly receive His nourishing and life-giving Spirit. And God the Father, the wonderful gardener, looks down upon your life and views the good fruit He has given you to bear, brought about by the work of the Spirit as it flows to you through the vine of Christ. As Jesus told His disciples in our Gospel text today, He has cleansed you by the word that He has already spoken to you, and He loves you down to the very core of His being. Jesus is the vine. You are the branches. Remain in Him and bear much fruit. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.